Good morning, everybody. Welcome to First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Ann McIntosh, and I am a friend of this uh, congregation, and I want to extend a welcome to everyone here. Whether you're worshiping online, whether you're coming here and sitting in the pews, you, all of you, all of us, we are all welcome, and each of us is an integral part of what makes this church what it is. We're glad you're here. Since 1858, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal Wisconsin, slow down, Jane Ann. For liberal religion in central Wisconsin, we are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as we are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, gender, ethnicity, or economic situation, regardless of what you ate or didn't eat <laughs> for breakfast, you and I, regardless of our journey, regardless of what got us here, are welcome. All right, so I am instructed to look at announcements. If you look at the yellow, now in previous situations, I have stood here and said, I know you all can read and then later heard people ask questions that like it was right there. So I'm only highlighting. Uh, first, there's a potluck. Churches are good at doing food, and this church is wonderful. Head upstairs afterward, join in some fellowship. Um, I'm sure that the um, Christian tradition is not the only one that says, regardless of how many show up, there will be enough. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see, community focus. Um, there is information on here about how much money was raised last month for a Catholic Charities Day Center. When I read this, I thought of Paul and Chris. Now that Paul is, uh, he is in a um, memory care unit, but for years, his lifelong partner was caring for him, and it is a hard task. She would regularly update us on how she was managing. This allows caretakers a chance to have a break, to visit, have coffee with somebody else, and know that their person is well cared for. Give. Um, let's see. Um, our own Reverend Brian next week and has a birthday. And it's not just any birthday. Read about it. Um, and. Celebrate, and it's not a surprise, clearly, so it's okay to wish him happy birthday. Next Sunday, we're going to have an extravagant um, coffee hour, so bring some extras. Bring yourself. It, uh, according to the note, you can even bring gifts if you want. All right, let's see. Lastly, I want to highlight, oh, no, I don't. Um, you can earn money donating blood. Go figure. I can't give blood. Um, you can ask me why later, but you can, a lot of you. And we know how essential this is. And if you're not into having the needle happen, come and help. Um, lastly, I need my bulletin. Can I borrow a bulletin? I don't know. Just a regular bulletin. On the back, this draws my attention. As a teacher, you might, some might say former, but I, I never give up teaching. I am really excited that next week is Ask the Minister. How many of you have ever noticed that young people are amazingly interesting. Yeah, 
And their wisdom just astounds me. We think, you know, wisdom is age, you know, you have to have a lot of gray. But I'm regularly dumbfounded by some of the wisdom that comes out of the mouths of people. The small, tall, whomever. Next Sunday, be here for that. All right, that's enough for announcements. But do read. As we begin our worship together, let's take a moment to extend signs of peace. Um, elbow bumps, handshakes, whatever it is. But greet people, offer them a blessing. And now let's join together in our opening words and chalice lighting. No matter what is going on, never give up. Develop the heart. Too much energy is spent developing the mind instead of the heart. Be compassionate, not just to your friends, but to everyone. Work for peace in your heart and in the world. Work for peace and again say, never give up, no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on around you, never give up. And now I invite you to stand, uh, grab your hymnal, and let's sing together. Soon the day will arrive. It's number 146.
this morning for our this am I on? Can you hear me? Brian's gonna see if we can get me turned up a little bit. How about now? How about now? Nope. How about now? Yeah. There we go. So now for our time for all ages, I'd like to share with you a story that's based on a Haitian folktale about a monkey who asked for misery. Monkey sat way up high in the branches of a tree, and from there he had a great view of everything, including the view of the villagers bringing their wares to market. As he sat there one day, a woman came along carrying a calabash, which is a dried gourd, on her head, and she was singing, which I will not, on my way to marketplace, sweet cane syrup in my calabash, I'll see my friends, I'll sell my wares, I'm going to come home with plenty of cash. And she sang it a second time. On my way to marketplace, sweet cane syrup in my calabash, I'll see my friends, I'll sell my wares, and I'll come home with plenty of, oh, misery, she yelled. Oh, misery, 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 she howled. A root at the foot of the tree had tripped her, and her calabash had slipped off her head, had fallen to the ground, and had broken, and the syrup was oozing out in all directions. Papa God, she shouted, why do you give me so much misery? She picked up what she could of her calabash and turned on her heels and headed home. Misery? What's that, wondered Monkey. The only way to find out was to swing down from one of the branches of the tree on another to the ground. There he cautiously dipped his paw into the sticky liquid and he cautiously put that finger in his mouth and Mmm, he thought, that mis misery sure is sweet. He took another cautious fingerful, and another, and another, and pretty soon he was using his whole hand, and then he was using both of them, and he slurped up all the syrup that was left on the ground, and he wished he had more. He reached back up to the lowest branch of the tree, and then swung up another and another to the very top, and yelled out, Papa God, Papa God! Can I please have some more misery? That was enough to wake up Papa God, misery. Are you sure you want misery? Oh yes, answered Monkey, I am very fond of misery. Are you really, really sure that's what you want? You want misery? Oh, of course. Well, Papa God said, I certainly can give you misery if that's what you want. It's what I want, insisted Monkey. It's what I want more than anything in the world. Papa God bustled about and getting things ready. And he goes, here, Monkey, this sack is specially for you. It has your misery. Thank you, thank you, Monkey was bursting out with such excitement. And before Papa God let go of the sack, he said, now you, before you open it, you must take it to the part of the field where you can no longer see any trees. You can't have a single tree in sight. No trees, no trees. Monkey agreed, put the sack of misery on his back and began swinging from one tree to another and another and made his way to the field where he could no longer see any trees. And he put the sack down on the ground. 
He was so excited he could hardly untie the knot, and he pulled and he poked, and finally the sack was open. But it wasn't sweet cane syrup that came out. It was a dog. They began chasing Monkey and running and jumping and barking, and Monkey ran as fast as he could. He kept running and running, and just when he thought the dog was going to get a nip of his tail, a tree appeared. Monkey grabbed a hold of the lowest branch, and he swung himself up higher and higher to where the dog could no longer reach him. Monkey heard Papa God laughing and laughing. He called out, Papa God, Papa God, why? Oh, Monkey, don't you know you've got to be careful for what you want? Nobody deserves that much misery. Monkey scratched his head as he made his way back to his tree, and he thought he heard someone singing, I'm on my way to the marketplace. And that is our story for today. I'm going to invite our preschoolers to sixth graders downstairs to our children's chapel. Our seventh through twelfth graders are invited upstairs for up to Walker Hall for their, uh, excuse me, Connections Cafe. And everyone, whether you're staying in the sanctuary or heading off to RE, is invited to bless each other with our children's song. The words are printed in your order of worship. I would like to invite everyone to join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. Prayer starts in your body. So if your legs are crossed, I invite you to uncross them and place your, place your feet flat and firm on the ground. Find a comfortable seated position and close your eyes. As we relax, focus your attention on your shoulders. Notice any tension there and take a slow, full, deep breath in. And slowly out. Move your attention upwards to your jaw. If you're holding any tension there, let it out. Now move downwards to your stomach. Take a full breath, pushing your stomach all the way out. And exhale. Let us pray. Everlasting love and life our gratitude for your countless gifts does not blot out our awareness of the suffering of people. People have been told time and again that if they just wait, their strength will be renewed. But in this broken world, too many are still weary. Too many still faint and fall exhausted. 
We pray for those who are willing to do any job, no matter how boring or menial, and yet still find no work. We pray for those who go to bed hungry, for those who are grateful for just a handful of rice, and for those who watch their children's bellies swell from malnutrition. We pray for those whose bodies ache with sickness, for those whose minds are filled with dread, and for those whose spirits are filled with rage. We pray for those who make speeches and for those who listen to them, for soldiers of every country and for those who live in danger of war. We pray also for those who mourn, for people who cannot pray, and we pray for ourselves. Let us now call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn in the gray book, number 352, Find a Stillness.
before offering our offering words, a point of correction. The creative, uh, com the community focus collection uh, of which I spoke was last month and it is not today. It is the mission and ministry of UU Wausau that we collect what you offer. It is for that reason. It, it allows for many things to happen and it's made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Now, as the uh, uh, baskets, plates come by, you may put something into it. You may also go online. There is information, uuwasa.org, where you can make your, your giving at, at that, in that way. That's how I do it. It just happens monthly. I don't have to think about it. Um, and it, you can do it just once if that works for you, or as I said, you can do it regularly. And at this time, we will make those gifts and offerings, and we thank you for your support. reading I chose for this morning is a poem entitled Take Love for Granted by Jack Riddell. The poet writes, Assume it's in the kitchen, under the couch, high in the pine tree, out back behind the paint cans in the garage. Don't try proving your love is bigger than the Grand Canyon, the Milky Way, the urban sprawl of LA. Take it for granted. Take it out with the garbage. Bring it in with the takeout. Take it for a walk with the dog. Wake it every day and say, 
good morning. Then make the coffee, warm the cups, and don't expect much of the day. Just be glad when you make it back to bed. Be glad he threw out that box of old hats. Be glad she leaves her shoes in the hall. Snow will come. Spring will show up. Summer will be humid. The leaves will fall in the fall. That's more than you need. You can love anybody, even everybody. But you can love the silence, sighing and saying to yourself, that's her, that's him. Then to each other, I know. Let's go out for breakfast. There it ends our reading.
I was very responsible when I was supposed to be writing a sermon and I read a comic book, so I want to read you all my favorite section from this comic book this morning. How many of you need to change something in your life? All of you, I know, I can tell, all of you. Anyways, that's what this comic is about. It's called The Holy Ghost in it. There's three characters, the Holy Ghost, uh, a squirrel, and a badger. Um, Anyways, so the two characters in this is a Holy Ghost and the squirrel. So this is the Holy Ghost starting. I'm always a little concerned about folks who claim, quote, God told them to do certain things. The squirrel. Come on. People have always used God to justify their own selfish behavior. The Holy Ghost. A good rule of thumb. If God actually tells you something, it'll be the opposite of what you want. There you go. You Unitarians need that lesson more than you think. Trust me. Trust me. Anyways, uh, on to important things. Back when I was an intern minister, I got close with one of the guys on my internship committee. His name's Jerry, Jerry McAdams. He's now dead. Uh, But Jerry had recently been divorced when I was an intern, and his kids had grown at this point. And so he had, you know, a free weekend every once in a while, and Jerry and I would get together. Mostly why Jerry and I would get together is so that I could have him listen to my terrible preaching, and he would listen and do his best to make it tolerable before the next Sunday morning. He was very good at this. Why he was good at this is because his day job was he was a professor of American drama, American literature. But he moonlighted as a theater director. His professional directing job was he directed the ever-evolving theater group known as Prison Performing Arts. Look it up, give them money. So every year he and his partner, they would work with inmates at a men's prison near just sort of outside St. Louis and they would produce a famous American play. But the year I met Jerry, the inmates he was working with, they had come up with something different. They decided that they wanted to write and perform in an original play of their own. Now Jerry, on my internship committee, he insisted. He said, Brian, you have to attend, and you have to attend because any minister worth his salt needs to spend a few days in prison. And so, I went to prison. So as the play took shape and the story was being written, it took the shape of a story about truth-telling, the truth of pain inflicted by crime, by violence, by homes without fathers and mothers, the truth of the pain of life. And so while the inmates wrote the play, they wore the typical prison attire like you see on TV. These bright orange jumpsuits and tennis shoes or socks with sandals. And as the performance drew near, the men said they wanted to tell the story like they were telling it to friends. And so they collaborated and they wrote a proposal to the prison warden and they said, can we please wear regular street clothes for this production? And while they were at it, while they were writing this proposal, they also decided to throw in a request to also have two sheet cakes made, one chocolate and one vanilla with soda to serve the attendees. 
The warden, a nice woman, a nice professional, she honored all of the requests, and so the men chipped in their own money so they could buy two cakes from the delicious Walmart bakery. And the church that I was at did a drive so the men could wear regular clothes for an afternoon. Now, hard switch. I'm going to return to this play at the end of the sermon, so park it in your mind, because I have a bit of background that I want us to sift through first. So, before I got involved with prison performing arts, Jerry made me promise that while I was in prison, I would not tell anyone that I was a minister. This is Jerry. Jerry said, Brian, they have all found God in there. This was a warning. They have all found God in there. But if they find out you are a minister, they will line up by the dozens to tell you their sob stories. But you need to know this. They're all fakers, Jerry said. The only reason they go to church is because it gets them out of their cells an extra hour of week. And so, if they ask you what you do for a living, this is what Jerry said, tell them that you are an accountant for a small pet food company. And so, I became Brian, the small pet food company accountant. Now, when Jerry told me his opinion about the shallow religion of prisoners, I sort of acted like what he said made sense. Now, I love and I miss Jerry, and I wish he was here because I would be even more critical of him if he was alive. So I'm going to be very nice to him. But Jerry could be accused of what I call flat-earth Unitarian Universalism, meaning he's the kind of UU who thinks the world would be a better place if the world was full of more people just like Jerry. Have you ever met someone like this? Have you looked in the mirror lately? You all are guilty of this at some point. So flat earthers, by the way, they aren't unique to UU churches. I'm just an expert at making fun of flat earth UUs. I've met them at pretty much every church I've ever attended. It's just that flat-earth UUs have this amazing ability to wrap it up in this beautiful wrapping, and somehow they make the package sound even pretty when you shake it. But my issue with flat-earth, and I'm going to put this delicately because I'm feeling generous this morning, so my issue with flat-earths is just that they're wrong. They're just wrong. It's wrong because human worth is not measured by what you do or what you don't. But here's something you might not know. I used to be a flat-earth Unitarian Universalist. There was a time when I was drunk on a cocktail of works righteousness. Now, that's a churchy-sounding phrase, but I guarantee you, you already know what that means. Works righteousness is the idea that we obtain our worth as people, we receive the love we receive or the success we gain or not because of what we do and what we do not do. So I was cruising through life as a happy flat earth UU until right around the time I started working at prison. But back when I was an intern, I was supplementing my income working absolutely any shift I was offered as a hospital chaplain because, you see, my internship to become a minister, it paid me enough to get off food stamps, but it didn't pay me enough 
to stay out of the food pantries. And so the day my era as works righteousness, flat earth UU, came to an end, I was covering a shift in the neonatal intensive care unit at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. Now, I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty details because the story is not my story to tell. But what I saw from my vantage point as a chaplain asked to pray with a family was a family faced with a reality that had nothing to do with the work they did or they did not do. It did not have to do with what they believed or what they didn't. What I saw was just a towering sadness into which the only comfort to use a phrase from one of my comic books was the singularity of specificity. It's a phrase about how what makes love so powerful is that love is specific. A particular child to a particular mother, a particular lover to a lover, a friend to a friend. And how that love and God are present in sadness and in tears. And so the world's religions, they have a lot of phrases that get at conversion experiences. But the one I have in mind this morning comes from the mystic philosopher Meister Eckhart, who used a phrase for it, and here's the phrase, it's a tongue twister, Gelassenheit. Like a lot of German, this is a tricky phrase to translate. But here is my best attempt at translating it. It goes like this. It's like a philosophical definition, so stay awake. This is what it is. Gelassenheit. Letting go of the self-serving stories we tell and the parts of ourselves that are always having an inner conversation about how right or innocent we are so that we can return to the work of love. You want me to read it again? Letting go of the self-serving stories we tell and the parts of ourselves that are always having an inner conversation about how right or innocent we are so we can return to the work of love. Would you like an even simpler translation? I wrote one for you. Here it is. Get out your pencils. The simpler translation goes like this. Not being a jerk face. Did you get that? <laughs> Not being a jerk face. There's your definition. Now, don't get me wrong. My conversion didn't free me from this tendency. I can slip into works righteousness in a heartbeat. And Eckhart, he knew this. And so he warns us against the particular power of being a jerk face. He says that the only way we can fight against it is to first recognize that the path to a more loving life is covered with speed bumps and quicksand and canyons and dead ends. He tells us that by the time most of us reach adulthood, we become obsessed with having other people judge us as righteous on our own terms. Now, this isn't a modern tendency. I'm going to give you a few examples of why I don't think this is a modern tendency, or this isn't uh, just a modern tendency or an ancient one. So, in my morning devotions, I just finished reading through the part in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus preaches a sermon to the gathered congregation about Pharisees. Do any of you remember Pharisees? 
So I'm going to summarize what the Pharisees did for those of you who slept through this lesson in Sunday school, okay? This is how it went. Pharisees did this. They lorded over people. They spent more time focusing on what they hate rather than what they love. They magnified the wrongs of others while minimizing or ignoring their own. They lied and they vilified. They were quick to pass judgment and slow to ask questions. They seldom listened. They never apologized. They surrounded themselves with people who think like them. They infected others with negativity and they acted like ninnies every time you corrected them. Does this sound familiar? Have you ever met a Republican? Or a Democrat? Or a Libertarian? So if Bible lessons aren't for you, I got your back. You may recall from back in high school, from some of you, you might not recall this, but you went to high school, I hope. But back in high school, you might have learned about this dude back in the 1920s named Sigmund Freud. Have you ever heard of him before? So he had this exact same idea. He had this idea and he called it the super ego. And the super ego was a part of ourselves that holds us to a standard we are incapable of meeting and then we punish ourselves for our own deficiencies. And so Freud, his great observation was that the handiest way people try to get away from our nasty self-judgment is we do what? We judge other people, right? So to escape our own bad feelings, we attack other people because for a while it makes us feel like all of our sins are forgiven. Doesn't it feel good to gossip about people, right? Talk about all the ways other people are wrong and you're not. It feels great. But the relief we feel from this is always what? It's always temporary. And so in my imagination, if you like images in your mind, I imagine this tendency looks something like a trapeze artist who can never stick the landing, right? We just entertain ourselves because we look good in sequin outfits, right? We can do loop-de-loos, we can do all these flips, but whenever it comes time for us to come back down to earth, what happens? We fall flat on our face, one out of one, no metal. And most of us don't like falling in other people. But when we think like this, when we hide our oopsies, we end up betraying not others, but ourselves. Because we neglect to see that this is the moment God has given us. This is your life. And it's this life, I think I might have lost myself, here we go. And it's in this life, and it is in our best interest to stop avoiding the breaking and accept it. So I have this quote from the Canadian saint named Leonard Cohen. He had this song entitled Anthem from his wonderful 1992 album, The Future available at a store near you. This is a song he sang. It goes like this. Ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That is how the light gets in. Compassion demands we accept the realities and unavoidables of being alive. 
The calling of human life is not to pray that we won't break. The calling of human life is to break and to notice the cracks. So for more than a decade, Chapman University has been conducting an annual survey of Americans, asking Americans what we are most afraid of. What do you think we're most afraid of? What are you afraid of? Nothing, right? You're afraid of nothing. I'll tell you what the survey said. The 10 cracks that we're most afraid of, most of our fears in America have to do these days with politics. We're scared of politics. I have a theory about this, and I'll preach on that some other time, maybe. But if you take away all of the entries that have to do with politics, the things that Americans fear the most are these two things. The people they love becoming seriously ill, and the people they love dying. Losing the people we love. We don't fear our own death. It's losing what we love. It's being cut down to the naked truth of seeing ourselves as God sees us, as we see ourselves in the mirror, broken and tender and lovable and ultimately helpless on our own. So the great church reformer Martin Luther, who paved the way for Unitarians and Universalists, he does not have a reputation for being a sweet and tender man. But he said a couple clever things, and this is one of the clever things he said. This is a quote. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Again, not righteousness, but growth. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. What Luther was totally opposed to was what our faith is also opposed to, is the idea that we earn salvation. As someone smarter than me said a long time ago, we are human beings, we are not human doings. Which leads me back to prison. So, the afternoon of the play, many of Missouri's movers and shakers, they gathered to watch the performance. St. Louis's mayor at the time showed up, the governor was there, the prison warden showed up, college professors and college students and church folks and theater people and a minister pretending to be an accountant of a small pet food company. We were all there. And the inmates performed so splendidly. The men, many of whom would never see the world again beyond the prison's walls, they shed the noun prisoner that was spoken before their number, and they were just people called by name. People like us who wrestle with the question of how to live up to our human potential. People who wrestle with how to right wrongs. People who wrestle to know what's worth wanting and what's not. What their stories told of is the truth that the road to abundance, it always runs straight through death. Death to self, death to works righteousness. And when they were done telling their stories, after I was done crying my eyes out in front of a bunch of strangers in a prison cafeteria, I did what the prisoners said you're supposed to do, eat cake and drink soda. 
Now, I imagine that because you are breathing, there is something in your heart that if it broke, it threatens to break you. There's something in your life that if it broke, you fear you wouldn't be able to put yourself back together. Something has lied to you, told you that without it, you'll lose your community, your love, your vocation, the bits of your life that are joyful enough to make being alive worth it. The good news is not that we get an award for being put together and hope our failures are ignored. Because we serve not only with our strengths, but also with our weaknesses. The people who are called to serve are the people who are also the weary ones, the ones who snap at their loved ones at the end of a long day, the people who battle with addiction, the ones who aren't always who they wish they were, the ones who know that they're not always strong, the ones who wrestle and repent, who fail and fail again. Our faith tells us, it assures us, it says you don't have to suffer alone because you suffer just like the person beside you. What if the purpose of life is to break and then show a hurting world that we can still live broken? Or what if it's to learn to sing or to help others learn to sing that there is a crack, a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in? I think you've earned a song after that. Let us rise now and sing number 407. We're going to sit at the welcome table.
Don't forget, there's a potluck upstairs in the fellowship hall. But if you'll receive this blessing, I invite you to reach out, take the hand of someone nearby. If you're in a space all by yourself, you can reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude.